So we're kicking off a whole new series today. We're calling Who is God? And we're kind of leaning into this idea because let's just be honest. There are lots of ideas about who God is. They come from lots of different sources, even sitting in a room like this on a day like this. Many of you with lots of church backgrounds, some of you with very little. Uh, we've just got ideas about who God is. They come from Hollywood, they come from the street, they come from our grandma, they, they come from Sunday school classes and preachers and TV preachers and just all kinds of sources. But research is clear, every culture on the planet from the beginning of time believes there's a God. They give him different names, they give him different attributes, but there's no doubt that for the vast majority of the world, there is a supreme being. In fact, I met a guy one time who told me that he was an atheist, and, and, and I said to him, uh, well, I respect your, your, you know, your right to, to believe that, but do you mind if I ask you a question? He said, sure. I said, what kind of God don't you believe in? And he hesitated for a minute, and he said, well, I just don't believe in that mean, vengeful, judgmental, ready to get you in a minute kind of God. I said, cool. I don't believe in that God either. Can I join your church? And he didn't know what to do with me. He just <laughs> had to deal with that. So we're kind of kicking off a series for the next three weeks leading up to Mother's Day and all the cool things that happen between Mother's Day and Father's Day. We're going to be focusing on families. For these next three weeks, though, we're going to lean into to this idea of who is God. Now, let me just I may disappoint some of you, I may encourage some of you, but we are not going to be going deep into the theological nuances of, of, of theocracy, okay? We're not going to be parsing theological terms. I am not going to give you the perfect illustration of what the Trinity is. I'm not going to talk about the egg that has the shell and the whites and the yolk, and I'm not going to talk about the apple that has the, you know, the, 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 the skin and the meat and the seeds. I'm not, we're not going to talk any of that kind of stuff. There are plenty of seminaries and online things you can dig into to learn that kind of stuff. I really don't want to appeal to your mind at all over the next three weeks. I want you to think, but that's not what I'm appealing to. I want to appeal to your heart. Because at the end of the day, here's what I know about God. Here's what I know about God. He created us for the purpose of receiving his love and giving it back. All of his creation, he created for purpose and meaning, but he created us in his image for the purpose of having relationship. So let's lean into uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit but from a deeply personal kind of perspective. I mean, what does it mean to you and to me that God is our Heavenly Father? What, what, is it, what difference does it make to my life that, that Jesus is God, and yet He's the Son of God, the Son of Man, He's the Savior? What, is it, what does that mean to us personally? H how is my life affected by the fact that, that the Holy Spirit is alive and well and very much at work, and the Holy Spirit is God? How are we affected by the reality of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Today, we're going to go right into talking about God the Father. And let me just say right up front, if you don't hear anything else I say, hear this. God wants you to think of Him as your heavenly Father. He wants us to relate to Him as a Father, and He wants to relate to us as a Father. And that's really good news when you think about it, because it's kind of hard to to relate to a, an impersonal force, an energy, right? We say God is a spirit, that's biblically accurate, but what does that even mean? I mean, how do you relate to, to a spirit? But when you say God is a father, you, you can look up to a father. You, you can feel close to a father. You can talk to a father. You can relate with a father. Let's be honest, though, on the other side of the coin, um, I mean, after all, I had a good experience with my earthly father, but I know, at least statistically, some of you 
didn't. In fact, for many of you, perhaps the word father uh, stirs all kinds of emotions that are not all good. I, one, one Father's Day, I said at greeting time, I said to the crowd, why don't you turn to somebody and say one honorable thing about your father? And I had three people run out of the room crying. I mean, it's just, you know, those are the realities of, of life. Maybe you had a father who was neglectful or abusive. Maybe you had a father who simply wasn't there. Or maybe he was there, but, but the word father represents fear for you. You wait till your father gets home. And if that's the case, when you hear me say God is your heavenly father, your immediate reaction is, got any other descriptions? I mean, no thanks on that one. I think I'll just pass. Because here's what we do. Because it's hard to get a handle on who God really is, we take the earthly fathers in our lives and attach the attributes of our earthly fathers onto what we presume to be our heavenly fathers. Does that make sense? The problem is all of the earthly fathers, including this one, is deeply flawed human beings that are imperfect. Can I get an amen from the mothers in the room? <laughs> Sit real still, be quiet. So in the few minutes... Well, in a few minutes I got, I just want to lean into this idea. What does it mean to heavenly, heaven, have a, easy for you to say, what does it mean to have a heavenly father? Let's see what he's really like. Let's start with three of the common myths about who God the Father is, and then I just want to give you four simple truths this morning, and, uh, and maybe you'll take them home and unpack them and understand how that begins to apply to your life. So let's look at the, some of the common myths about who God the Father is. First of all, the most common one is that God is this unpleasable God. And if you had parents like that, if you had a dad like that, you brought home a report card and you got C's and he wants to know why you didn't get B's. Or if you got B's, he wants to know why you didn't get A's. And if you got A's, he's thinking, well, that school's just too easy. I mean, it's just, there's no pleasing that kind of, of parent. Then, if you, then you, you take that and you superimpose it against God. What do you get? You get this cosmic policeman who's got a big stick ready to hit you every time you mess up, and you just kind of live in fear of, oh, no, God's going to find out about you. I was walking through the parking lot of a shopping center one time, and, and I saw a mother in the distance with a little boy, and he was struggling against her. She wanted to get him in the car, and he didn't want to get in the car. And, and the closer I got, the, the, the more clearly I could hear what she was saying. And, and, sh and what she was saying to him is, if you don't get in the car, I'm going to tell your Sunday school teacher. And oh, ma'am, do you have any idea the message you just sent to your son about church and about the people of God and how they're to be feared and how they're going to get you? Do you understand the message that you're sending? Oh, I wish I could teach you the message. And the closer I got, the more I realized she was one of ours. <laughs> That's reality sometimes. Second common myth is that God is unreliable. Usually that's because we've been hurt somewhere along the way. Interesting characteristic about people is that when we get hurt we don't just blame the person who hurt us hello is this microphone on did you who do we blame we blame god we go god if you really love me why did you let this happen if you're really all loving and all caring then, then, then why didn't you keep this from happening some of you here today have been holding god at arm's length because somewhere along the way, somebody hurt you, and you've been carrying resentment, not just toward the person who did it, but toward the God that you think should have stopped it. And we're all susceptible to that, whether you've committed your life to Christ or not. You need to understand something. 
I don't have time to do a full teaching on this, but you need to understand something. The reason God allowed that to happen is because he's given us freedom of choice. You see, he made us for relationship, and the only way real relationships are real is if we have the option to walk away. Does that make sense? Ken and I have been married for 41 years. There have been plenty of times over the years that, that she could have said, forget about it, I'm out of here. Like the time I said, sell or give away everything we've got, we're moving to the other side of the planet because God said. That would be enough for an awful lot of ladies to say, no, I'm not moving to the Philippines. Are you kidding me? I mean, there's just all kinds of times that she could have said no. And one of the reasons that I love her so deeply today is because she didn't say no. She chose to stay even though it was difficult to leave family in those kinds of times. So hear me, guys. God's given us this freedom of choice because he wants us to choose to have a relationship with him. He could have made you a robot. He could have made you a puppet. He could have pulled your strings. That's not how he made you. Now, here's the problem. He gave you freedom of choice which always has consequences. Whether you get it right or wrong, there's always a cause, there's an effect to the cause, there's a consequence to the choice. But he gave everybody else that same freedom. So the only way he could take away the, 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 the hurt that somebody caused in your life is if he took away, is it, are you tracking with me? Is if he took away their freedom of choice. So how does he take away their freedom of choice unless he takes away your freedom of choice, too. Here's the most amazing thing about people on this subject. We have this amazing capacity when we get hurt to focus on how other people hurt us and never really stop to think about how we hurt other people, much less why didn't God stop us from doing that hurtful thing? Hear me, the only way that happens is if God takes freedom of choice away. And he wants us to have the ability to choose relationship with him. So what does he do? The next best thing. He works everything in our lives into a pattern for good if we just love him back. That's it. He just takes all the good, all the bad, all the hurts, all the joys, all the pains, and he works it into this pattern that brings us to this place of abundant living if we just give it all to him. Hear me, i got to move on, but hear me. God didn't cause your hurts people did. He allowed it because he's given us freedom of choice. He wants you to choose relationship with him, and he wants you to choose to get healthy, to be better, not bitter. Make sense? And yet, if you don't get that, if that doesn't sink in, if that doesn't make the journey from your head to your heart, you will believe that this heavenly Father is unreliable. You can't trust him because he allows hurts to happen in your life. The third myth is God is unconcerned. Sure, I believe there's a God. Of course there's a God. But man, I mean, he's got bigger fish to fry than my life. I mean, he's got like universes to create and stuff, right? I mean, he's got time for me. <laughs> How could the God of the universe be concerned about my job, my kids, my, my finances, my family, my, my school, my exams, my career, my friends? I mean, all that seems way too petty for this big, huge God, that's bound to be too busy for me. I mean, those are some of the myths that quite often people buy into. And I just, I just need you to hear me say, we're going to get into the truth, but I need you to hear me say, if you've ever heard or thought any of those myths, you've come to the right place. Because we're going to talk about who he really is today. And I hope that as a result of what we're going to share today, 
that you'll find yourself wanting to be in relationship with this heavenly Father who is God. Let me give you four truths in the time we've got. The Bible says the truth will set you free. Let me give you four truths. You may want to write them down. You can go to the Bible app. There's an outline there. You can follow along with me. You can get the manuscript later by going to info at bridgechurch.cc. Write Goldsboro down. You'll get the, the, the full manuscript of today's message. But let's get into four simple truths of what kind of father is he. Number one, the father, God the father is a caring father. He's a caring father. Say it with me. He's a caring father. Come on, one more time. He's a caring father. He's compassionate. He is loving. He's gracious. He cares about you. He cares about me. He loves you more than you're even able to feel or comprehend this side of eternity. The fact is, compassion is God's number one trait. Psalm 103, verse 13. He is like a father to us, tender and sympathetic for those who reverence him. There's so many examples from Scripture that I could give you about God and His compassion. But one of my favorites, uh, because it's, it's so human and, and we relate to it so well, is there's a story in the book of Mark where the disciples are in a ship. They've been ministering and, and hundreds, even thousands of people have been gathering to hear Jesus teach and, and amazing miracles have been taking place. And so they get in a boat and they start across the Sea of Galilee. They're going to take a little break. And while they're going across the Sea of Galilee, this big old storm comes up. Now, Jesus was fully God and yet fully man, so he's tired. He goes to the back of the boat and goes to sleep. He's taking a nap in the back of the boat, and the winds are blowing, and the, the thunder and lightning are clapping, and the, ra- the waves are raging, and the s- disciples get scared. They just go, oh, man, we're going we're gonna to die. And just like we do so often, they start blaming Jesus for it. So what in the world is wrong with you? I thought you were God. I, if you could heal that guy the other day, then why can't you stop this storm? Don't you care about us? I said, real still, don't move. But again, we, we've all been to that place where if God is a caring father, then why am I not hearing from him right now? Why do I pray and it feels like my prayers are hitting the ceiling and bouncing right back? What's the deal? So they rush to Jesus in the back of the ship, and in their panic, they wake him up, and they say, don't you care about us? This boat's about to go down, and we're about to drown, and you don't care. Don't you care about my fears? Don't you care about my hurts? Don't you care about the stuff that I'm going through? Don't you care about the stress that I'm feeling? Don't you want to care about what's happening to me right now? Hear me, guys, until you answer that question with the truth. Our Father is a caring Father. You're going to hold Him at arm's length. You may come to church, you may sing songs, you may feel his presence, you may take notes in sermons, you may even serve and get involved in the church, but you will hold him at arm's length because if you don't think he really cares, why bother to go to him for help? Truth is, he cares. He cared for his disciples on that day. In fact, he got up and said, oh, come on, guys. Well, don't you, you you know how much I love you. And he looked out across the waves and he said, sit down and shut up. Okay, that's the Pastor Jim paraphrase. He said, peace be still, but I like to sit down and shut up myself. How many, let's vote, how many like sit down and shut up? That's what he did. He just sit down and shut up. And you know what they did? They sat down and they shut up. The waves just calmed right out. The boat settled right in. He wasn't sleeping because he didn't care. 
He was sleeping because he knew the end from the beginning. And this was an opportunity for them to learn their level of trust. Now, here's, here's how I know it was about a life lesson. Because later on, the Apostle Peter, who was one of the guys on the boat and probably one of the most outspoken ones, Jesus, don't you care, is the same one who wrote in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Come on, let's read it together. Oh, there it is. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares. Who wrote that? Peter. Where was he? He was the guy in the boat who was scared he was going to drown because he wasn't sure God cared. So when he said, cast all your anxiety, he could have said, even when you think your boat is sinking, trust him because he cares for you. So what, what, what does all include? Does, does that include your job that's in jeopardy? Does it include the mortgage? Does it include a financial or a relational problem? Does it, does it include stress? I mean, stop me when I get to something it doesn't include. Does God care about the fact that your kids need braces? I mean, does he care about that stuff? Does he care about the mood that your husband's in or your wife's in? Does, does he care about that stuff? Does he care about your hopes? Stop me when I get to one he doesn't care about. Does he care about your dreams? About your ambitions? Absolutely. He is a caring father. The Bible says he knows every detail, every detail, and he cares about them all. He even knows about every hair on your head and has numbered them. There is not a person in your life, including yourself, who cares that much about you. So let me just ask. I've got to move on, but let me ask. How many of your dads, how many dads we got here? Come on, reach your hands. Don't be shy. How many dads? Okay. So if, if your kids, if you found out one of your kids was worried about a roof over their head, clothes to wear, and food to eat, how would that make you feel? And my boys had come to me when, when, when they were young, and they'd said, Dad, I'm re just really worried to death about where we're going to get our next meal. How do you think I would have felt? I'd have felt like an absolute failure as a father. Now, they're all grown now, so if they were to come to me and, say, and now and say, Dad, I'm worried about my next meal, I'd say, get a job and go buy some. <laughs> you know, go make a sandwich or something, you know. But back then... Uh, Kim and I both would have considered that a personal failure. I'd have looked at him and said, son, you don't have to worry about that. Mom and I got that covered. You don't have to worry about that stuff. We're not going to let you starve. Jesus is saying that's how God the Father feels about us. Like any caring father, he doesn't want us to worry. He doesn't want us to worry. I've got to say one more thing. When, when we do worry... You know what we're saying to the Father? I don't actually trust that you care. That's, that's what we're saying. But hear me, your problem probably is not that you don't love Him enough. Your problem is that you don't realize how much He loves you. Let Him speak His love into your life. Never occurred to me as a kid, never once, to worry about my next meal because I knew my dad had it. Got it? Got it? Need to explain that one some more? Got it? You ready for number two? God is a consistent father. He's a consistent father. You can count on him. He's always dependable, consistently. That's who he is. James chapter 1, verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from the father who does not 
change. Can we just be real honest in this room? Earthly fathers can be inconsistent. I've had people say to me many times as a pastor over the years, you know, I just never knew what to expect from my dad. I never knew which dad was going to show up. One guy told me one day, it really depended on what mood he was in, depended on whether he was drinking that day. And one day he was a good guy, the next day he was a tough guy, one day he was compassionate, one day he was hard. I just never knew. The sad reality is that inconsistent fathers produce insecure kids. So where do you go for security in a world like that? You go to your heavenly father who is consistent. He's never moody. God never has a bad day. God never has a hangover. God never has a, you don't know what's going to happen. Can you imagine what it would be like if God had a bad day? I mean, if he woke up one day and he just, you know, I just, I think I'm going to zap Eric. Boom. <laughs> no, I just don't like the way he looks today. It's, Ron, no. I mean, that's, you can, I think that's hard to fathom. That's not even possible because that's not who God is. The good news is God is always consistent and he is consistently good. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. If we are not faithful, he will... What? Still be faithful. Even if you blew it, he won't. Even if you push him away, he won't leave. If we're not faithful, he will still be faithful. Because why? Because you deserve his faithfulness? Is that what it says? Because he cannot be false to himself. I'm so glad that even on the days that I'm down, God's never down. Even when I'm struggling, he's still victorious. And he's constantly, consistently, desperately in love with me. Hear me. There's only one thing in the world that never changes. God always acts the same toward you. He always acts with grace. He always offers his power. He is who he is because he cannot be, you want to say, do you want me to? False to himself. Psalm 59, 9 and 10. You, O God, are my fortress, my loving God. Now again, I understand if you didn't have a consistent dad, it can be hard to believe. But, but even if you can't, Pray that you'll let these words sink in. Let them resonate in your head. Let them replace those old digital recordings that are in the back of your brain. They've been playing long enough because your Heavenly Father is consistent and He is consistently good. Third truth, God is a close Father. He's available all the time. When you need Him, He's not distant. Acts 17, 27, God did this so His people would reach out for Him and find Him since He is not very far from each of us. God wants you to find him. God wants you to know him. God wants you to have relationship with him. He wants you to relate to him. And I know, again, if you had an absentee father, that may be hard to imagine. But God is never at work. He's never hanging out with the guys. He's never distant. He's never on a trip. He's never out of the picture. God is always there. God is always close. Again, I know when it comes to fathers, it can be tough because some dads get that wrong. There were seasons in my life when I got that wrong, seasons when I was so busy in the, 
in the work of the Lord. I've been a pastor since Kim and I was, I was pastoring when Kim and I got married. I was pastoring when our boys were growing up. We were missionaries in the Philippines, and, and, and sometimes I spent 25 days a month traveling in the rainforest. There were times when, when I was just so busy and so gone that, uh, that my boys missed me. They didn't have me, and I huge regrets in my life that I've had to deal with, and, and my sons and I have worked through those things, and, and I've asked them to forgive me for those years, and we have a great relationship as adult sons and and a father, but I understand the price, even for ministry. When I didn't put my family in the place that I needed to, I didn't put my marriage in the place that I needed to, I understand that price. But hear me, guys, God never has to pay that price because he never makes that mistake. He's always there. He's always close. If you can't get that on a feeling level, then let me just tell you three truths quickly, just very simple three truths that I want you to play. Maybe write them down somewhere if you're taking notes, but rehearse these things. Get them in your head and then pray that they'll move from your head to your heart. Truth number one, God is never too busy for me. Say it with me. God is never too busy for me. One more time. God is never too busy for me. Psalm 145, 18, the Lord is near to all who call on him. God never says, I got your call, but I've been too busy to call you back. That's not who God is is. God is never too busy for me. Say it. God is never too busy for me. Truth number two, God loves to meet my needs. Come on. God loves to meet my needs. Come on, you do better than that. God loves to meet my needs. Don't have to beg him. Don't have to coerce him. God loves to do this. Matthew 7, 11, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him. And again, I know it can be tough. We superimpose the earthly father image on our heavenly father because we dads can be selfish sometimes. There'll be times when we, we know our kids have needs, but I have needs too. We live in a society that says, you've got to take care of yourself. And so we can get that wrong sometimes. But hear me, guys, God is never selfish. He loves to meet our needs. Truth number three, God is closest when I'm hurting, this may be the hardest one for you to hear and receive, not just mentally, but emotionally. Say it with me. God is closest when I'm hurting. One more time. God is closest when I'm hurting. This morning during our worship time, and Bobby Ann invited you to see him and let him speak into your life, to make wherever you were standing an altar where you come to him with your deepest hurts. That's what he loves, and he's closest to you during those times. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. God never says, build a bridge, get over it. He never says, Put a, pull up your big boy pants and get over it. He never, he never says that kind of stuff. He just says, come to me and crawl up in my lap and let me help you. In fact, the term that Jesus most often used when he was on earth and he talked about the heavenly father is an Aramaic term that's translated father in the English scriptures, but it's actually the Aramaic term Abba that, that loosely translates daddy. Whatever English word you use for it, the idea is that it's the most intimate term of endearment that you can attach to a father. It carries the idea of closeness and safety. And every time Jesus referred to the father, that's how he referred to him. Again, my boys are grown now. We've got seven grandkids. But to this day, I just, there's something happens when my oldest 
son, or my middle son calls me Poppy. I don't know why, he just does. And I love it when he does. My oldest son calls me Pops. Our grandchildren call me Gangan. I don't know why. I don't care why. I just care that they have a name for me. And when they use that name, I just feel something very special. Kim's dad, uh, I don't use this term very often. I am very, uh, very stingy with this word. Uh, Lloyd Forehand was a great man. Some of you knew Mr. Lloyd. Lived in Wayne County all his life. Uh, he was a great man. Not great in that he had, you know, phenomenal education and huge career and made a lot of money and all that kind of stuff. Hardworking man, loved his Lord, loved his family. Not even a great man because he was a deacon in the church and a song leader in the church and all that kind of stuff. That, that was good stuff too. But the greatness of Lloyd Forehand was demonstrated uh, when he passed away. And uh, we stood in the receiving line uh, for five and a half hours, right over here at Howell. Thousand plus people came through the line. And here's what blew me away. At least a third, maybe half of them, maybe more, said, Mr. Lloyd called me. He had a name for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. And he didn't call all the guys sport and all the girls, you know, cuz or something. He had a name for them based on some characteristic in their life that was, a, that was an affirming characteristic. He gave me one as soon as Kim and I started dating. And that was his term of endearment. And he said to us every time he used that term, I care about you. Well, hear me. God has a term for you. He calls you friend. He calls you son. He calls you daughter. He says, call me daddy. That's how close he is. My boys were to come to me when they were growing up as teenage years. If they'd come to me and said, greetings, father. It is indeed a pleasure, father, to encounter the procreator of the wall family, father. I beseech thee, Father, therefore, cash <laughs> and car keys. What would I do? I'd say, where did you put my boy? That's what I would have said. That's not how you talk. Please tell me that's not how you pray. Heavenly Father, that thou wouldest, shouldest, couldest, I beseechest thee, therefore, Heavenly Father, just talk to him. He loves you. He cares about you. He wants to be close to you. Just carry on a conversation with him. Say, God, I'm hurting right now. God, I'm really confused right now. God, I don't get it right now. God, I need your help right now. God, can you give me some wisdom right now? Have just talk to him. He's your dad. And he wants you to think of him that way. I was at lunch with a group of pastors some time ago and, and rocked my world. Because we sat down to lunch and somebody said, oh, somebody said okay, who's going to say grace? And, and one of the pastors said, you know, I'll do it. And so, you know, I, I dutifully bowed my head, and I'm waiting, because he didn't say anything. And I finally look over at him, and he's sitting there looking. We had a kind of a family-style spread. He's looking at the food on the table, and it's almost like his mouth is watering. He's, he finally says, you are an amazing God that you gave us spring rolls. <laughs> and, and look at 
Look at that sesame chicken. That is awesome. I can't wait to have some of that. Thank you for giving us sesame chicken. And he just kind of worked his way around the table having this conversation with his dad about how thankful he was that his dad gave us all this wonderful food and all these guys sitting around the table sharing our lives with each other. That's how he wants you to relate to him. Does it make sense? Because he is a father who cares. He's a father who's consistent and consistently good. He's a father that's close. And then I've got to close with the fourth one. Our God is a competent father. He can handle any hurt you bring. Nothing is beyond him. I know that's hard to fathom because that is not the modern image of fathers. What's the modern image of fathers? You ever watch a sitcom, one of those TV comedies? What's the image of a father? They're all dumb as dirt. Am I right? The only smart people in the family are the kids. And mom is helping them get one up on dad every time. I mean, dad's favorite word is do. That's all he knows, right? I like the two kids on the playground. One said, my dad can beat up your dad. And the other kid said, so what? My mom can too. I mean, it's just. <laughs> Hear me. Nobody can beat up your heavenly father. Got it? Luke 1, for nothing is impossible with God. Say it with me, for nothing is impossible with God. Hear me, guys. When we're first growing up, we think our dads can do anything. They can make it stop raining if we want to play outside. They can put the heads back on decapitated dolls. I mean, they can do anything, right? But then we start growing up. Before you know it, we realize that our dads have limits. It can be painful the first time we realize that the dad has a limit to his resources. He has a limit to his abilities, maybe even a limit to his wisdom. And sometimes he gives suggestions or ideas or direction, and it's not always right. And we're, we're human at the end of the day, and it can be incredibly painful to come to that place where you recognize a dad is not Superman. It can be hard, but you never have to come to that realization with your heavenly father. Because Superman ain't got nothing on him. Nothing is impossible for him. God is never caught short. He never does anything wrong. In fact, Ephesians 3.20, from the Living Bible paraphrase, let's read it together. God is able to do far more than we could ever dare to ask, to even dream of, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hopes. The first time that passage was ever introduced to me, was 30 none of your business years ago when I was in Bible college, almost 40 years ago now, I guess. And a guy came to chapel, and he shared this verse, and he said, now here's what I want you to do. Uh, all of us are pastoral students. You know, we're going to be in ministry in some level. He said, I want you to close your eyes right now, and I want you to ask God to put a dream in your mind of the biggest ministry, the most effective, life-changing ministry you'll ever be involved in. Close your eyes. I want you to picture it right now in your mind. And I did that, and I did that exercise. I'm from Bladenboro, North Carolina. Anybody know where Bladenboro is? Down in Bladen County. Little tiny town, 1,000 people in the town. Well, 1,500 in those days, it's dying. But like, we have a stoplight in Bladenboro, they don't bother to turn it on anymore. They put a stop sign at the intersection because they don't need the light anymore. That's just, that's the town I'm from. And so, my, you know, my idea of the biggest ministry possible was a couple hundred people. I'm going to pastor 200 people one day. <laughs> and I thought I was really stretching it. So I opened my eyes 
And the speaker said, I got one thing to say. Whatever the dream was in your mind, I got one thing to say about it. It's too small. Because God is able to do far more than you ever dared to ask or even dream of. Infinitely beyond your highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hopes. I had no idea that God would take us all over the world to do some really cool stuff for him. So think of the biggest goal you can think of right now. God can top that. Think of the biggest problem. God's bigger than that problem. Think of your biggest fear. God can do more than that. He can help you to deal with it. He can help you to overcome it. That's who our Heavenly Father is. So I've got to ask, what have you been doubting that God can handle? What have you been thinking? You have to do this all by yourself. And in the process, you've actually been holding the Father who loves you at arm's length. When in fact, in truth, He is the Heavenly Father who is caring and consistent and close and more than competent for whatever life throws at you. I've got to close. I've got to ask a question. Think about it with me for just a moment. Is God the Father of everyone? Is God the Father of everyone? The answer is yes and no. If you mean, did God create everyone? Yes. If you mean, does God love everyone? Yes. If you mean, does God have an amazing plan for everyone that's ever born? Absolutely. In that sense, God is the Father of everyone. But it takes more than birth to be a dad. It takes a relationship. So here's what I need you to know. In human terms, there are two ways to get into a family. There's birth and there's adoption. When it comes to the Heavenly Father, you get both. Galatians 3.26, we are children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Jesus referred to it as being born again. Paul referred to it as being adopted into the family of God. But either way, both ways, we are the children of God. He is our Heavenly Father on a deeply personal level when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. So, if you want a father that's caring, you want a dad that's consistent, you want a dad that's close, no matter what you're dealing with, you want a dad that can help you with whatever life throws at you, then I'm going to ask you to pray a simple prayer with me today. Would you do that? Close your eyes for just a minute. I'm not going to keep you any longer, but let's just pray this simple prayer together. Lord, we thank you for the godly fathers that you have put in our lives, whether biological or spiritual, the mentors, the father figures. But we realize every one of them are limited. So we need you. We need you to show yourself to us that caring, consistent, close, competent Father that you are. I need you to show me and help me to believe it, not just in my head, 
but to relate to you because I know it in my heart even when circumstances don't seem to line up with the truth. So help me to know you, really know you. I'm going to put my faith in Jesus Christ and I'm going to trust that you'll reveal yourself to me as a father. In Jesus' name I pray. Father, you know who's praying. You know what's going on in their lives. And I know in a room like this, on a day like this, there are people that are brand new to this idea of being a follower of Christ. There are people that have been serving you for 30, 40, 50 years. Wherever we are in our journey today, would you take us a step closer to you? As the heavenly Father you are. We're going to thank you for what you do in us and through us because of it. In Jesus' name.